everyone. I'm Tiffany Xingyu. I'm the GM and the co-founder of Oasis Consortium, a nonprofit that builds brand and user safety for the industry. And welcome to Brand Safety Exchange, a podcast where I interview the experts and the veterans in the space. Today, I have Angela Johnson and Chris Derfleur to join our show. Welcome, Angela and Chris. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So Angela, you are the uh, client development officer at Dentsu and Chris, you are the planning supervisor and what you call the media ethicist at Dentsu. So tell us a little bit about your roles at Dentsu and tell us a little bit about the latest about Dentsu. Sure. Yeah. Dentsu, as you can tell from the name, we're headquartered in Japan, uh, but there's 12,000 of us in America working across the whole gamut from creative, media, consumer experience into data. So the whole marketing mix there. And Dentsu, we say we're champions for meaningful progress. So we're we're partnering with clients to make sure that whatever it is they need to grow their business, whatever challenges they face, throw it at Dentsu and we'll catch it. So we're working with 90 of the top 100 marketing clients. So in some capacity, uh, we don't do everything for them, but uh, we're working in some capacity with, with many of the big, big clients. So as we get into our discussion today, we can give a perspective on what what is vexing and challenging a lot of these top spending clients in 2021 and with a particular view to brand safety. So looking forward to getting into that. But over to you, Chris, first. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, I'll give a little bit of background on my role. First, the planning supervisor part, it's pretty generic in that sense. Uh, Mostly strategy, high-level things, client interactions. They're mainly on the Home Depot account at Cara here, but now I'm transitioning over to the Viaset WebEx account, which I'm really excited about. So a lot of new and exciting opportunities there. The media ethicist part is, is I think, the more relevant aspect for this podcast. Uh, and that's probably something people maybe are a little bit unfamiliar with. There might be a new title. And really, that role is about bringing some of the things that we're going to talk about today, brand safety, environmentalism, reducing algorithmic bias, stuff like that, into the forefront of our decision-making within Dense so that uh, we can tackle some of the problems that uh, Angela was hinting at for our clients in a very concrete, actionable way and can turn it into a reality so that uh, consumers win, brands win, we all win. So that's kind of the idea there. Yeah, Chris and I first got to know each other when we were working in separate pods, if you like, both with the same intent of bringing sustainable media to our clients and then we found that we were both doing the same thing from a slightly different angle and we came together and making sure that now we can offer a solution to clients so that their media and their marketing is truly sustainable and that covers so many different areas and really bringing to bear all the different expertise we have across Dentsu to make sure that we can give that advice to our clients so I'm working with uh, with a lot of the, the top spending clients across the portfolio. That's awesome. We should definitely come back to this concept of uh, sustainable media. Nowadays, the definition has definitely been enlarged. (laughs) I see Chris had this thumb up. That's great. So really, uh, Angela, in your role, you're so close to to clients. So what are the major trends you have seen that preoccupy your clients these days? Well, clearly right now, it's what consumer behaviors are going to the changes in those consumer behaviors, which ones are going to remain as we come out of this COVID experience and which behaviors are going to reverse to where they were before. So really trying to understand the consumer and the audiences 
and what's been changed for good and what was changed because of the situation we're in. And clients are looking for help on that. They're looking for help in how can agencies and uh, their consultants and their, their advisors help them with that move to super hyper agility, hyper connectedness, etc. So those are the things that's driven by the, the year that we've just had, both from how do I structure myself, my teams to become more agile, to become more connected, but also where's the consumer moving? What are they doing differently and what will stick? So those are the two big things I think that they're asking for, for help on those trends right now. Interesting. So you're saying that basically your clients try to understand how the behaviors have changed. Uh, since 2020, since the COVID, since everybody is moving online and as to like where they should spend the media budget. Is that right? Where they should spend their media budget, how they should spend it, what content they should put out, what's appropriate content. How can they even create content in this situation? So yeah, we run from the whole content creation through to the media placement, through to the media mix, right through until how do I set myself up to be a client, a, a company that lives and truly breathes its purpose under all these restrictive practices? And how do I keep my supply chain uh, working? And how do I then market to a supply chain that might be compromised, etc.? So there's a huge amount of client uh, challenges right now. And the one that we should definitely touch on is how do I make sure that when I am advertising, my content is in a, a place where, yes, I'm getting the eyeballs, but I'm also making sure that my brand is in a safe place. It's not compromised in any way. And not every single client's working in a programmatic way now, but majority are. And clearly a human can no longer check and look at the millions of decisions that are being made programmatically. But that balance of, well, still need that human element to come in and to have the checks and balances on, on what's going on and setting guidelines and guardrails, etc. So anyway, over to you, Chris, to, to build on that. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Uh, and uh, just one thing I'll add on to it, I think, as and actually Angela was kind of hinting on this, is it's one of the consumer behaviors that I think has been changing for a while, but COVID really brought it to bear is almost just the acute awareness of how the advertising process works, right? Consumers are more aware of they're being tracked. We had events like January 6th that really woke people up to a lot of the issues that we have with some of our content curation and things like that. So one of the trends that has really picked up in 2020 that'll stay live in 2021 in the future is that uh, the cat's out of the bag, right? Consumers are very aware of what's happening. And that is, uh, might seem at first a little scary for, for some brands, but it's actually a really great opportunity because it's an opportunity to have a more honest, real conversation in the digital space because once consumers are a little bit more aware that there's a back and forth happening, that there's an exchange that also uh, allows you to enhance the value of that exchange. So I think overall brands are trying to figure out, okay, hey, we know that uh, there's some issues here and, and we want to correct for them. So how do we turn that into a, an opportunity rather than just something that uh, has to be done. And so that's what we're here to do is make it a real opportunity and bring consumers with us on that journey. So it's it's really empowering people across the spectrum. Thank you. Yeah, there there's a lot to unpack here. I just pick up a couple of keywords here. Angela, you mentioned that it's really a whole supply chain that we're, we're looking at. And then you mentioned it's not only where, obviously it's always to who, and then it's about what that's suitable 
and then how the brands and agencies need to potentially change the how. So can you share with us a little bit about your definition of sustainable media and how does that impact on the where, what, how, and who? So I really love that you asked that question because I think sustainable media really goes into kind of what Angela was talking about uh, and you were talking about, Tiffany, where it's trying to tackle all aspects of our business from the data we're using to the media we're activating on and the technologies we're using in order to prepare our brands and ourselves for a rapidly evolving future that is only going to get more intrusive, right? So we need to tackle many of these environmentalism problems, many of these misinformation problems, these DE&I issues that exist out in the larger space. And so sustainable media is about creating a coherent, easy, actionable plan that can be tailored to each of our clients and say, hey, you want to invest in a healthier internet, but you don't necessarily know how. Here's a roadmap that we can get you there. Here's how you can invest in the future of a healthier digital ecosystem. Here's outside experts. Here's internal experts. Let's get you what you need to do to make your business sustainable and make it feel like, hey, I'm having a true, honest, healthy advertising conversation with my consumers and they're feeling valued and rewarded from that. And so the overall idea is we play a really big part in that. And so how do we make that better? I think we talk a lot about, obviously, we know there's physical well-being. We're talking a lot more since COVID about mental well-being and the importance of that. But for Chris and I, we always talk about the digital well-being as well. And I think that a healthy internet, a healthy ecosystem is so important. And one of the things that Dentsu does outside of all the work we do for clients is we are on a mission to make sure that we don't leave pockets and parts of our society behind as, as you know, without access to digital. So that's just period. We believe everyone should be able to come with us on the progress that the society is making. But then as we do so, we create a healthy digital well-being for consumers and for companies and employees that work within that. So trying to make sure that as things get connected, we still provide that level of authenticity, making sure that we're not leaving people behind, nor are we bringing them into something that is toxic or, or unhealthy. Love it. I have two sided question to what you just said. Beyond for good, why the customers or your clients care about this topic? How do you translate that into the brand's growth and the company's business growth? Um, and the second question, while we try to justify that and fight that battle. What are the biggest challenges that you are dealing with, you know, to, to guide your clients to be a more ethical and a sustainable brand? The evidence is clear that if you are a company that is purely focused on growth, then yes, you may well grow, but the evidence is you will not grow as fast as companies that are balancing growing for growth and for good. And the companies that are succeeding, like the P&Gs of this world, they're not doing it just because their consumers are demanding it. They're doing it because it's uh, it's the right thing to do and it's, and it's actually translating into business success. So yes, they are absolutely are listening to their consumers and they're enacting a lot of great initiatives. And they come to us to help them with that because they are asking, what are other companies doing? How do we succeed? How, do we, how can we put ourselves into a place where that, you know, when the consumers come asking the questions, what are you doing with my data? What are you doing with anybody's data? Where are you getting that data from in the first place? How are you storing it? What are you doing with it? Or how are you sourcing your products and how are you creating your advertising? And what it, they're, they're pushing rightly and poking into every aspect 
of a company's ecosystem into the way that they do business and how they source everything. And enlightened marketers are, are having the answers ready and they're pushing their own companies to make sure that this is a really important topic. So I think my key word when we talk to clients is vigilance. You can no longer create a block list and leave it sat there for a year. You know, you, you, you constantly have to be listening and, and vigilant about how things are moving on and changing in the world and, and making sure that you've got that human overlay to often what a lot of the algorithms and the, and the data and the systems are doing and making sure that that human component is making the right ethical choices. Yeah, and actually, I'll add something onto there. I think the, the fact that you brought up environmentalism is really excellent because I think many of the same problems are, are associated with both. And uh, environmentalism, it's because everyone knows we have a big issue, right? And I'm a devout environmentalist. Uh, and one of the big obstacles I see with people getting into better environmentalist behavior is paralysis from fear, right? They, they, don't know, they don't know how to act. They don't know what next step to take. They don't know where to go, but they know they want to do something. Uh, and so I think that's a big part of where we can come in and say, hey, we know you want to do this, but you just don't necessarily know how. Uh, so we can help you doing that. Uh, and we can create a plan that is not only going to actually communicate this, it's not just going to be a gimmick. It's you, the content you're going to create is going to be more environmentally friendly. It's not just going to use environmentally friendly materials or imagery. So there's a lot uh, there that I think the environmentalism history plays into what we're dealing with today. Second thing I want to say is kind of hinting on the second part you brought up, Tiffany, is what are the obstacles, right, we're running to with clients? And I think Angela brought up a really good aspect, hinting on the fact that the brands are going to grow more uh, as a result of this. And the reason why I think that's the case is because not only consumers will reward the brands that do this, but actually the return to ad spend and things like that are much higher. The click-to rates are much higher. The engagements are much higher. Uh, the data quality might, in the end might have lower amounts of data, but it'll be significantly higher quality data. So it'll be significantly more accurate. So you'll have a much healthier and better understanding of what the consumer is doing. Privacy is not the obstacle to understand your consumer, it's actually a window, right? Because if you understand your, your consumer's privacy concerns, you understand their vulnerabilities, you can reach them in a much in a way that is, is true to what they're looking for. And at the end of the day, marking is, is about bringing people what they want, right? And, it, and is showing that is helping them make wise decisions. And so we want to help them make wiser decisions rather than just bombard them. Uh, and so we know that brands want to do that too. And so long story short, what I'm trying to get at is it's actually much more beneficial in the long run to the brand to be engaging these behaviors. And it's a little bit of a myth right now that we're trying to get over that, that it's not as profitable to do this because it's, it's anything but. I really like you, you highlight the fact that when you do privacy, it might take, you know, more cost and maybe have, you know, less data at this point, but you potentially will have you know, more quality data over a long time and you add more trust and there's the equity, you know, to your business and you drive, uh, you know, a longer term growth there. So, so I love the example here. So that really leads us to talking a little bit about the KPIs. As we all know, you know, especially to achieve the long-term goal where you do not have like yearly uh, return right away from, from that, you really need the accountability from, you know, a long-term perspective. So what are the KPIs that you guys have seen working or the KPIs you suggest your customers uh, to look at? So that's a million dollar question. 
And that is something that I, I'll just be transparent on. We're actively working on because there's so many different facets to it. And we're trying to, it, it's quite literally, I think, pioneer uh, in that space a little bit. There's a lot of different groups doing that. It's certainly not just us, but it's something that the industry as a whole is trying to, to figure out. So I just want to be transparent on it. There's a lot of growth to have there. However, I think one of the things that is becoming apparent uh, is that you need to have different metrics based on different concerns. So for example, we're, one of the things that Dentsu worldwide is pioneering right now is a carbon score through our program called DIMPACT that's uh, attaching environmentalism score to content creators. And so that will allow us, for example, to say, hey, this brand has a click-to rate of this, plus this brand's click-to rate is this, but its environmentalism score is this high. And after the campaign is over, we can say the environmentalism score of your campaign overall reached this level. So that brands can at least uh, have that transparency that they know what they're investing in. And they'll at least say, hey, okay, if it's a comparable performance, I'll go with the partner who's more environmentally friendly. Uh, and then there's things like DE&I, right? Uh, we have to have metrics that showcase how much we're supporting. If, for example, if you're trying to reach Black Americans, uh, you should be investing in Black-owned media, right? So we should have uh, KPIs that monitor that performance. And then uh, I think at the end of the day, we will need to, as an industry, we, their engagement metrics, I think, will always play a part, but we need to move beyond that. And we need to showcase more metrics that are about digital well-being, as, as Angela brought up, rather than just, uh, you know, snapping up eyeballs and things. So, and all be all of right now, what's the KPI that people should be going towards? I would say, personally, I, I, I try and avoid click-through rate if I can. Again, there's certain engagement metrics that have to be used, but I think brands should be looking at how do I first invest in the content that is valuable to my consumers and the, the data that, it, that is ethically sourced and things like that. And then after the fact, okay, how do I make sure that I'm testing out different messages to understand you know, which messages is driving an actual click-through rate that is meaningful as opposed to is just an overall click-through rate. But we really, as you can kind of get on, we have a lot of growth to go in this space. And I think that's something we're trying to get at right now. Yeah, I just add to that. I think because it is a pioneering stage, it's not clearly agreeing a KPI is important, but it's not just what the KPI is. I think it's about the frequency with which you're looking at that. And back to this vigilance point, things are moving so fast and, and changing and new areas are opening up um, where brands can potentially have issues. That I think the setting of the KPI is one thing. I think the the constant commitment to renewing and reviewing and making sure that you're on the cutting edge because of things changing so rapidly right now. I think that's a key part as well is to not just set the KPI done, you know, the next day, the very next day, a new KPI could be needed. So never rest on your laurels and make sure that you're working with partners who are, are really in tune with where the, where the industry is going in that respect. Yeah. And actually one other thing I'll just add on there, uh, Angela just really touched on something that reminded me is it's really important for brands to not just take a higher click through rate or higher engagement rate or higher ROAS and just, you know, make that the end all be all and just have a, a spreadsheet of only comparing partners on that. It's really got to be a more holistic analysis. Uh, and they, and particularly from the brand safety standpoint, you know, we use a lot of block lists and, and things like that, but there's a lot more advanced brand safety tools. So for example, Vice is really doing wonderful things in that space that allow them to curate content in a, in a more brand safe way. 
that will make sure that it's being seen by the right people and a brand safe environment. And so even if that click-through rate, for example, is a little bit lower than a programmatic partner that's being driven to, towards efficiencies, brands should still say, okay, there's a real value in having that high premium content. And so we have to work on some KPIs from our end to say this is high premium content and we're doing that. Overall, we need to, as, a, as an industry, be pushing ourselves to be very broad about our thinking and reach the consumer in a way that they're happy with. Yeah, research shows that your purchase intents will decline by two times if your content, your ads is shown besides unsafe content. So, so you know, how you create actually safe content and how you make sure that your brands are suitable to the content around you uh, becomes super important because coming back to, you know, Chris, what you mentioned over, you know, a period of time over mid or long term, it really comes down to the LTV of a customer. It's great that you can get more eyeball right now, but if you do not drive the purchase intent, then LTV will be low. You know, how you make sure that your brands, you know, are shown, you know, near like safe and healthy and a positive content um, is super important. And to Angela's point, because you mentioned about the vigilance and agility, it kind of related to, you know, one thing at Oasis Consortium we talk a lot about is how you bake those principles into the design phase. So we call their three pillars. We say safety by design, privacy by design, and DEI by design. How you make sure that when you, you know, construct your team, when you build a creative, and how you make sure that you actually have you know, privacy technology baked into your platform to ensure the data privacy and the consent management. How you make sure that you have human moderators team, you know, from platforms and publisher perspective, you know, to work with technology to proactively to safeguard the environment. Um, those three principles will allow us to be less reactive, but more proactive to create a sustainable environment. So, with your experience looking at those kind of three principles, which principle today you think your customers spend more time than others um, and kind of your reaction to the three principles as to the adoption and the thinking from your client's perspective, the privacy, safety, and DEI by design? I think uh, obviously every client is different. I'm seeing the third pillar of DEI is absolutely front and center, I would say, for every client right now. Everything from the investigation of the algorithms that they're using to make sure that they're not favoring certain cohorts of society versus and you know disadvantaging others through to the construction of teams in their businesses themselves etc and and then pushing that to every aspect of their marketing you know we are working closely with every client now on on minority owned media businesses etc making sure that they are set up for success in that in that area so yeah i think the dni one is definitely getting the focus and i don't know chris if you've got any the other two i'm some clients aren't really there yet you know some clients are finding their way there you know over this past 12 months it's become much more in focus but for some i think they're still not quite there yet I think that brings in a good reason why we're doing the sustainable media program, right? It's because different clients are different spaces at this. They're different levels of ready to dive into it. And they're not necessarily sure if they want to do DE&I or privacy or, or how much they want to dive into each one of these things. However, we all know that they're all important. And so we want to 
make it easier for them when they are ready to have that conversation that one, they have someone to talk to that can actually provide them answers and then can provide them meaningful actions they can take. And then also if they aren't uh, ready for it, we can push them a little bit, right? Because we have that relationship. We can say, hey, this is valuable to your business because we've seen it work for P&G. We've seen it work for Microsoft MasterCard and such like that. So we believe it'll work for you too. And so I, I think to Angela's point, DEI is really particularly with some of the events that happened over the summer is at the forefront of almost every client's mind. However, I think what we're all realizing, and, and I'll just touch on this thing from an environmentalism standpoint, for example, you can't separate environmentalism from racial issues because they're intricately connected uh, at the end of the day. And those are oftentimes the communities that are most affected by some of these decisions. So oftentimes privacy, for example, um, my, uh, marginalized groups will maybe be the most impacted by privacy concerns, but everybody cares about their privacy. So once brands start to say, okay, this is an issue, this is an ethical issue I'm ready to dive into, we could then expand them out and say, okay, here's how it filters into all this other stuff and how you can create a holistic plan that can tackle so many of these things at once without sacrificing anything. Brands are opening up to the conversation and we're trying to take them further. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this. Uh, you know, Angela, I agree with you. I've seen, you know, personally, we have more folks on the DEI pillar and less so on the safety and the privacy, though we do see that in 2020, uh, there is a pickup on the safety for the obvious reasons of all the misinformation and online toxicity. So my, my hope is the new decade will open a more sustainable environment, uh, taking all these three principles into the design phase. So to wrap up the podcast, would you leave some wise words as to not only what the, the industry has been doing, the whole podcast has been around, but what the industry should be focused on and doing in the next decade? I think there's two things going on. There's the getting good media, good content, good publisher material out there was more difficult, more stressful, more expensive. Yet at the same time, some of the most premier outlets, you know, you look at a Wash Post or a CNN and the you know, their ad revenues are going down. So you've got this thing happening with the publishers who desperately need advertisers' help to continue to be the publications that they are and they want to be. So you've got the stress on them. And at the same time, people now waking up to the fact that if I've got a block list that says I don't want to be next to this content, that content, whatever it is that could be controversial, that's discluding a lot of that great content. So the nuance, I think that's what's happening now is we're getting to a more nuanced phase where people are actually going, actually, I would like to support these great publication you know, institutions and I'm recognizing it's getting harder but I want to do it in a way that my brand's still safe and having a block list that stops you going anywhere near anything, basically of good news reporting is no longer the best way is how do you find that nuance and find those, those areas. So I think, I think that's where most of the clients are getting to now. They're working through that. It's hard, you know, it's hard because you can either block everything and not go there at all. Or, you know, so I think that that hard work is being done in conjunction with agencies to make sure that in the future, we can have an, you know, great content locations in which to put our, our advertising, but not compromising the brand safety. So I think that that nuance now is being worked through and that I, I, I applaud. I think it's, it's a good move. Yeah, and uh, from my end, I'll say that one, the, 
the whole nuance thing is is really big because I think too many brands, have, particularly with brand safety, have been uh, they've said it and quit it. And with these blacklists, I think that's a great example. Oftentimes they're outdated. And I'll say my, my big thing is is get excited about this stuff. I think too often times media professionals see this as as a drag or something that's going to hurt their business. But I, I think there's going to be growing pains that that's unquestionable. But uh, this is an exciting moment. Uh, this is a chance for us to, as advertisers to really empower consumers, which traditionally we maybe not have not done. Uh, and really to, you know, advertising as a tool really can be wonderful. There's, there's always going to be some potential downsides, but the free and open flow of information is really important to our society, particularly for, for low income people. And also if we can use advertising to enhance things like social goods, that the amount of social good that'll come out, even if it's a fraction of a percentage of advertising spent will be enormous. So we have an enormous opportunity to provide a lot of good in the world by making some small changes. Uh, and there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. So what I would say is for anyone who's an advertising professional, media professional, data professional, really dive into this. There's a lot of good readings out there. And then don't feel like you're in this alone, right? Uh, you might not have a, a Dentsu to reach out to to get your answers, but there's a lot of companies out there. There's a lot of nonprofits. And that's actually a lot of the expertise that we're getting is by working with some of these nonprofits, some of these industry groups some of these up and coming startup companies that have brand new innovative ideas about how to do this. Uh, a lot of B Corp companies, which are just excellent, that are really uh, opening up a lot of opportunities. So uh, my big thing, and I try and hit home just to clients is, this is an opportunity to build your brand, to expand even your profitability, to create deeper relationships with your consumers and to, and to dive into that. Even if you're you know, a mom and pop shop, just one advertiser or a global powerhouse, it's really a time to, to get excited about this and dive in. Yeah, the sustainability is the new sexy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we, that's we, for sure. Yeah, we often say at Oasis Consortium, we do believe that the speed to trust will actually differentiate a platform and a brand uh, in this decade and potentially make a new generation of decacorns, like a new Facebook and new Google, a new Amazon, because they build ethical brands. And you know, thank you so much for you both to be part of the think tank at Oasis Consortium. As you well said, Chris, you know, this whole industry needs to come together to build some standards and the principles. And Angela, to your point, I think we will work more closely as to you know, how we actually solve this brand suitability issue, right? Like how we go beyond just with a list, but use potentially the AI technology you know, to be embedded into the supply chain so that you can be both you know, safe and inclusive. Um, of a lot and of AI them. developed with a DNI lens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for you two to come to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful. Thank you.